roll it. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Lord God, this is your word. Would you please be with us and give us the ears to hear, the eyes to see, the wisdom to understand, and the will to obey. Please be gracious to teach us what we need to hear tonight. Please use it to penetrate our hearts and guide us towards sanctification. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you seen the episode of The Office where Michael drives into the lake? If you haven't, I'll tell you anyway. Uh, Michael's driving and Dwight is in the passenger seat. They're on their way to the Elmhurst Country Club on the other side of the lake. Uh, Michael is following his GPS. Uh, They come to a stop sign and the GPS chimes in with his robotic voice, make a right turn. So Michael proceeds to make a right turn. And Dwight cautions him, saying, wait, 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 no. It means bear right up there. And several times Dwight corrects him. Uh, But Michael's adamant that he should make a right turn. Maybe it's a shortcut, Dwight. He says, go to the right. Uh, The machine knows where it's going. And Dwight says, it can't mean that. There's no road here. Stop yelling at me, he says. But there's no road here. There's a lake. Of course, they end up driving into the lake. Uh, Explaining God's love to an unbeliever can be like this sometimes. They can refuse your advice and choose to drive into the lake. Michael Scott willfully chose to follow where he thought the GPS was directing him to go. He refused to listen to Dwight's advice to stay on the road. Likewise, God Ford advises us to hear and to heed his commands. Unbelievers are blinded by their trust in sin, like Michael trusted in his GPS. We can see that clearly in our text. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4? Um, that's page 978 in the Bible's provided. I'll pick up reading in verse 15 for the sake of time. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, making, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. In the overall structure of the letter to the church at Ephesus, we find that the first three chapters are presenting doctrine, and beginning in chapter 4, Paul changes gears to begin exhorting the church to action in light of that doctrine. We have technical theology in the first three chapters in tactical theology in the last three. As our brother Michael Craddock stated last month, our actions flow out of what we believe. Doctrine dictates our decisions. Paul starts laying the groundwork in chapter 4 to say that Christ's church is to be like him. The church is called to be separate from the world. We call this holiness. It means to be set apart. So we as the church are to be set apart from sin, and in every way we cease to identify with the world, and we identify in Christ. This is how God, through Paul, tells us how Christians are to live. We are to do this with our words and with our actions. Of course, we will do this imperfectly, and we can only do it at all with the help of the Spirit who indwells us, but we should seek his counsel in every decision to glorify him the best. To put it short, we are saved out of sin and into the church, the body of Christ. As we consider Ephesians 4.18, pick up reading with me in verse 17. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God 
because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Last month, our brother Michael Craddock guided us through the futility of the mind of the believer, described in verse 17. We couldn't speak of an unbeliever's darkened understanding or their alienation from God or their ignorance or their hardness of heart without first mentioning their futility of their minds. Unbelievers, those whose mind and natures have not been transformed by the power of God's grace are utterly bent on futile things, things that are meaningless and vain. Their way of life is fruitless. These are the ways in which we once walked. Paul tells us earlier in chapter 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the power of the prince, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were once, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now we come to our meditation for tonight, Ephesians 4.18. They, that is the Gentiles, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. I want to pull out a couple points uh, from the text. One is sin is blinding, and two, sin leads to death. First, sin is blinding. They are darkened in their understanding. Paul's use of the word Gentile might take you by surprise. After all, most of us here are not Jewish by descent. Throughout the, apostle, the epistle, Paul uses Gentiles to represent unbelievers, those who do not put their faith in Christ for their salvation. Consequently, they are inherently opposed to God. Sin to them is just a way of life. It's comfortable, fun, exciting. But Paul says they are ignorant. They don't know what they're doing. And they have hard hearts. They enjoy living in their sin. Sin is blinding. They cannot see that their sin is killing them, preventing them from seeing that God cares about them and he loves them. In that scene in the office, Dwight passionately and with concern warned Michael Scott that he was about to dive into the lake. He urged him to follow the road. Likewise, God gave us his word to point us in the right direction. He points us to his son for salvation, but like Michael Scott, they reject his gracious hand outstretched in mercy. They would rather continue in their sin than turn from it to eternal life. Paul calls it the life of God. So as it says in 1 John 1, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Paul tells us that unbelievers are willfully ignorant because of their hard hearts. Pharaoh had a hard heart. Despite continual communication from God, God spoke to him through Moses. He experienced ten devastating plagues, bringing his nation to its knees before he released his hold. He had all the reasons to listen to God and let the people of Israel go and worship him in the desert. Yet he hardened his heart each time to his own detriment and misery. God hardened his heart, but Pharaoh was more than a willing party. Christian, do not harden your heart or return to the sin in which you once walked. Do not go back to your old Gentiles' ways, like verse 17 warns. God saved you from your old life to a new one one that's marked by righteousness, not sin. If you're a Christian, that is your old life. You've been made new. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God saves us from our old life into something completely new. God's people are always in stark contrast to those who belong to the world. God makes us residents of his marvelous light 
whereas those who hate God live in darkness of mind and hardness of heart. Now we can see and hear and taste that the Lord is good. We can understand spiritual things. God took our hearts of stone and replaced them with hearts of flesh. We can feel we have compassion for the lost. How can we claim to identity in Christ, yet choose a life of sin? We can't. We all look like our masters. Those who proclaim Christ actively turn from their sins, and by the transitive property, we can conclude that those who embrace life marked by sin do not embrace Christ. Why would we want to go back to living like Christ didn't die for us? That's what we do when we choose to sin. Why should we choose to go back to living a life of darkness? Brothers and sisters, sin is enticing, but it lies. Don't go back to it. Yet we, mu yet we must conclude that Christians in Ephesus have chosen to flirt with and indulge in sin. Paul wouldn't have had to write this letter if believers hadn't forsaken our Lord for a sinful life and chosen to step back to worldliness and sin. We must conclude that such wanderings are temporary for those who are truly in Christ. And if they walk away permanently, then sadly the profession of faith was not true. There are profession, professing Christians who do not follow God's commands. 1 John 1.6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. A believer's words and actions are evidence of their faith. Fellow believers, is there any way in your life that's characteristic of the lost? Pray that God would show you what you need to put away. Pray for the faith and the will to put those sins behind you. God is good. He is for you. He will give you every tool you need to fight the temptation to sin. He has already given you faith to believe in Christ. At the end of that faith is eternal life. Likewise, an unbeliever's life of sin is evidence of their faith, lack of faith, and the reward for sin is death. We're told this in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. This leads me to my second point. Sin leads to death. The fact that sin leads to death should be no surprise. It's one of the first thing, things that God reveals to us in his word. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, which can be found on page 2 of the Bibles provided. <clears throat> Picking up in verse 15, it says... The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day, uh, the day that you eat of it, of it, you shall surely die. God told Adam that if he broke his one rule to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would die that very day. But Satan told Adam, You will not surely die. Satan, like sin, lied. Adam did that die that day he ate the fruit. He was alienated from the life of God. He was cast out of the Garden of Eden from God's presence. He didn't die a physical death yet, but he did die spiritually. Unless Christ returns, physical death is unavoidable. This is the blaringly evident fact as we read through Genesis a few weeks ago and this morning. Uh, Pastor Mike preached on Genesis 5, where we find the genealogy of Seth. I think he called death a drumbeat. And then he died. And then he died. And then he died. And then he died. To be human is to one day die. But it is God's work and will that his believers do not have to experience spiritual death, although physical death is unavoidable. Sadly, people who choose Christ, who choose sin over Christ, willfully reject that spiritual life in God. 
they are not only separated from the life of God, but they are made enemies of God. I cannot think of a more fearful position to be found in. We were all in that fearful position once. Let's jump to the New Testament now. Turn with me and follow along as they read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. That's page 955 in the Bibles provided. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is how the people who belong to this world operate. It's how we all used to operate. And we ought not to go back to those ways. Just after God's word lists these types of sinners who will not inherit God's kingdom, we come upon these beautiful words in 1 Corinthians 6.11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God is in the business of taking sinners like me and like you used to be and making them into saints who delight in God's word, people who love to obey his commands. He makes us new beings. We were dead in our trespasses, Ephesians 2.1. And then we hear, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This happens over and over again in the New Testament. We're given the bad news that we're depraved, hopelessly lost in our sin. Then, but God. But God made us a way to be saved. But if you're darkened in your understanding, you can't even see this grace that's been held out to you. You need the work of the Spirit to open your eyes. You need the Spirit to convince you of your sin and to show you the mercy God is extending to you despite your rebellion. God sent his only son to live a perfect life of complete obedience. He suffered an agonizing death on a cross, was rejected by God because he took the sins of the world upon himself. Christian, he paid for your sins and mine in that death. But because he committed no sins, he was really raised to life. Death had no claim on him, and so now he lives forever. And you can have eternal life, the life of God, if you place your faith in him and repent of your sins. He will give you new life, a new lens to see the world, and a new light, a new understanding, and replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. To quote Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. If you'd like to talk to someone about this salvation, I'll be around, and I'm sure any of the members here would love to talk as well. Michael Scott learned that day he drove into the lake, or we hope he learned, uh, that the machine is not always right. We wish he recognized his blind obedience to a GPS would lead uh, to disaster, not just for him, but for also his passenger. God's word shows us uh, that blind obedience to sin will end in eternal disaster for ourselves, and sometimes temporal disaster for those around us. But God has been gracious, not merely like Dwight Schrute to yell at us and keep us from driving into the lake, but lovingly directing us to his son and life in his son. 
So, brothers and sisters, give thanks to God that he has called you to light, to communion with him, and a heart full of love for him that it flows into praise and obedience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for giving us the light of salvation. Thank you for making a way to know Christ and to be saved. We thank you for loving us so much that you gave us stark warnings for our good. We love you. Please help us to obey. Amen. Brothers and sisters, go ahead and find that insert in your bulletin for our uh, closing song here tonight.